Okay, so here we go. Who read ahead in Malachi, and now you know what we're about to read in verses 6 through 14. Who's been there? Okie dokie. If you haven't, I love you all, and the Lord loves you all also. Okay? This is a, go back to the very first verse of Malachi, though, because I think that this is, this is good for us to remember. It says, the oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. And I pointed out last week that the word oracle um, was one translation, but the word burden, I thought, was, uh, a, it, it's just as appropriate. But whenever you get to this particular passage and you've read all of Malachi, burden seems more fitting because last week was the good news. I have always loved you. And now he's about to give us several passages. The Lord is through Malachi, his messenger, where we're going to feel the burden um, being laid out. And so um, I think that's what we got to keep in mind is that Malachi is burdened by this word. And as I'm sitting there studying it and trying to, to read it and, and wrestle through it, to be quite honest, and then knowing, okay, Lord, this is where you've brought us and I have to proclaim this to your people, there's a burden there. There's a heaviness there. And I'm going to tell you, I actually have wrestled with this passage, not even in what it simply says, but there is a temptation, and, and I need you to hear me very, very, I, I hope you understand my heart. There is a temptation within me to preach this passage, and then at the end of it, whenever we're filling all the weight, then I go, but Christ is our sacrifice. We are completely redeemed, and that's not wrong at all. It's not wrong at all. Like that's, I'm, I'm not discounting that because it's true. We read the New Testament. We see that Christ is the perfect sacrifice. He is the unblemished lamb. He is the one who has come for us. He has redeemed us. The reason I say there's a temptation for me there is, though that's right, it does also take away from the context of Malachi. That great turn, that comes at the end of Malachi. But right now, I think to keep the context right and to understand it, we need to see the passage for how they would have received it, which is with the heaviness. Knowing full well, Christians, that Christ is our sacrifice, you know what? They should have known full well that God had deeply loved them. So we already have that prior knowledge. You have it. Live in that. Dwell in it. Be humbled by it. And I will remind us that there is a New Testament application. Y'all, His mercy is more. Okay? Like, hold on to that. But at the same time, let's not short-circuit the conviction that the Lord may be laying on us as well. Because... There is a duality there. The Lord convicts, the Lord saves. The Lord has forgiven for all of eternity. And yet, because He has redeemed us, we must be obedient. Because He had loved Israel, they must be obedient. They had to. And so, in God's great love, He tells them exactly where they've erred. And then at the end of Malachi, we will delight in this. He's going to tell them, I never... I'm still not giving up. I'm sending my son. Like, I'm sending one for you. So there is a, there's a, a temptation for me to, to lay all this out and then to go, don't worry, don't worry, everything's fine. And then we rejoice in that. And I think that that's, that's appropriate to a certain degree, but I still think that, that we should feel the weight of what Malachi was presenting to him. 
Y'all with me? Okay. All right, here we go. Malachi, verses 1, 6 through 14. By the way, I'm just going to, I'm saying all that to say, I needed this passage. I needed this. Okay, here we go. Verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If, I, if then I, God, am a father, where's my honor? And if I'm a master, where's my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? God says, by offering polluted food upon my altar. But you say, how have we polluted you? By saying that the Lord's table may be despised. When you offer blind animals and sacrifice, is that not evil? And when you offer those that are lame or sick, is that not evil? Present that to your governor. Will he accept you or show you favor, says the Lord of hosts? And now entreat the favor of God that he may be gracious to us. With such a gift from your hand, will he show favor to any of you, says the Lord of hosts? Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain. God says, I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts, and I will not accept an offering from your hand. For from the rising of the sun to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. For my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. But you profane it when you say that the Lord's table is polluted and that its, and its fruit, that is, its food may be despised. But you say, what a weariness this is. And you snort at it, says the Lord of hosts. You bring what has been taken by violence or is lame or sick, and this you bring as your offering. Shall I accept that from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the cheat who has a mel in his flock and vows it and yet sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. Good news is the Lord has forgiven us for where we have fallen short. Yet we need to be very mindful that as Israel was God's people, so we are God's people, and he will be greatly feared and praised and honored. I read this today, and I'm sitting there thinking, okay, what if I'm reading this today, and I'm meeting someone for coffee, uh, it, you know, like this week, and I'm, I'm sitting there, and we start on Malachi, and, and this person has no knowledge of the Bible, and they're sitting there going, what is even all this about anyway? I thought Christianity was all about Jesus. Like, why does this matter? Like, that's, I think, something that we do need to wrestle with. I think, we, I think we probably have an understanding, but I want to clarify what this all really means and then really what's, what's really wrong with what's going on here. So let's just do our best to kind of break this down, okay? So if you are someone who has animals, like you have goats, chickens, doves, lambs, sheep, you do not have to sacrifice them in this way anymore, right? That was the Old Testament. There were laws. There were ways that they were to be sacrificed. For us today, I will give us the New Testament connections of what are our sacrifices to be. At the very, very end, I read about five passages where we look where it seems very, very clear that these are the offerings that we bring. We have a, a tithes and offerings jar over here, right? 
But those aren't the only offerings that we bring. They aren't the only sacrifices that we lay down. So we're going to get to that at the very, very end. But right now, let's grab the problem. What is the problem? What is the real problem here? And that's in verses 6 through 10, but really all throughout. Okay? The problem is in honor. That's the problem. They were offering blemished animals, yes. They weren't supposed to. I'll show you those passages. And while the blemished animals were the problem, that was just systematic of a blemished heart. They were not honoring God in their hearts. And because they were not honoring God, therefore their worship of him was wrong. Y'all with me there? That's kind of the undergirding framework that we need. It's really that he is not honored How do we know that? Look at verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If I, God, am a father, where is my honor? And if I'm a master, where is my fear, says the Lord of hosts to you, priest, get this, who despise my name? And they say, "But, but how if we despise your name? The priest always got a little quick comeback. They've always got that question of, How have we despised your name? And so then he's going to tell them. Remember, the letter would have been so much shorter if whenever he said, I've always loved you, they just said, thank you. You know, but then they said, how? (laughs) How have you loved us? And so then he's going to explain to them his great love, which is showing them that though they have sinned greatly, it does not negate his faithfulness throughout the letter of Malachi. So the real problem is stated right there at the very beginning. It's honor. That's the problem. He's going to use the sacrifices as a way of saying, look, you're not honoring me in your sacrifices, but it really comes down to honor. And we see this, by the way, in the other, um, in the other prophets as well. We see this um, throughout the New Testament. We must honor God for who he is, not who we want him to be. And whenever we do not honor God, whenever we forget who he truly is, then our worship will begin to wane. So that's the big problem. The big problem is honor. He even clarifies, just so we, and I think we get this. Y'all saw me sitting here with my family. I'm sitting there um, with my, my kids, and they honor me as father. At a certain point, they might have questions. They might not even like my decision, but they still honor me and understand that I am the final authority, and they're going to do what I ask or what I say, and that I'm doing what I do out of love for them. There's that honor. And God is saying to his people, if I'm your father, then where's the honor that you should be giving me? You're not listening to me. You're not giving me any honor. So that's part of what's going on there. But I think, honestly, we could stop right there with that one verse and just let that sink in. If God were to stoop so near to you right now and just lean near and say, are you honoring me with your life? Really? You can fool me. You can fool yourself. You cannot fool God. His altar will be unblemished. But there's kind of that application for us that if God were to to stoop near to me right now and say, Ricky, are you honoring me as Father? Are you fearing me as Lord? What would I really say if I know that I can hide nothing from him? Feel that weight right there? Kind of stinks. 
but the Holy Spirit within us is like, okay, I know that there's probably something here that we need to keep pushing into. They replied to him, have we despised your name? And he says, you offered polluted food upon my altar. Can I show you something really, really cool? Hold your place there and go back to Exodus 25. I thought this just, it was just kind of one of those really cool moments this week. Although I've read Exodus over and over again, I just saw this in a completely new way. And so whenever I read that polluted food and uh, on my table, I was just reminded by God's incredible grace and love and intentionality for us. Okay, so Exodus 25. Go, let's just, so in verses 1 through 7 of 25, he's saying, hey, ask for contributions. Um, you need some twined linen, goat's hair, tanned ram skin, goat skin, and acacia wood, oil, lambs. Like he's telling um, him to gather all these things. But then look at this, verse 8. God says to Moses, and let them, let those skilled workers that I have skilled, let them make me a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. Exactly as I show you concerning the pattern of the tabernacle and all of its furniture, so you shall make. And I read that. And like there was just this moment and I had to, and all I wrote was this. Dwelling with man has always been God's idea first. Like, have you let that sink in? Dwelling with man has always been God's idea first. We didn't create that idea. We love the idea, but he has always intention. Whenever he created Adam and Eve, God goes to the garden and communes with them. It's always been his idea to be with his people. And then you're right there. Look, so we're not going to read all of this, but, but look at your headings. The Ark of the Covenant is probably, or the, the directions for the covenant or the Ark or something like you see a heading like that. God tells him exactly what he wants the Ark of his covenant to look like. Like, this one is going to be made out of bronze and this is going to be made out of gold and you need gold rings and it needs to be set in or these stones need to be set with gold filigree. Like he tells him exactly what he wants of them. And then turn the page, well, turn the page in my Bible, maybe not yours. And then he gets to the table for bread because he's laid out the tabernacle and the sanctuary. And then he says, look, there's going to be a table for bread. And he gives him the exact directions in verse 23. And you go all the way through, talks about the plates and the incense. Look at verse 30, 25, 30. And he tells them, and you shall set the bread of the presence on the table before me regularly. And then if we were to go on, we see the golden um, lampstand, the tabernacle, the altar, the court of the tabernacle. You keep on moving. And then it gets to verse, or I'm sorry, chapter 28. Take a glimpse right there. Don't get me wrong. I wasn't reading it this as, this as, or as excitedly then in my quiet time as I am right now. It's just kind of one of those that there was this culminating wave throughout the week. Look, then I got to, to chapter 28, and he starts talking about the priest's garments and how they should be clothed. And there's a very real intentionality. What I want you to see is that God told Moses, I will dwell with my people, and it's my idea, and I will be there. And this is how it's all going to look. This is how you are worshiping me. From the beginning, God has clearly communicated to his people how he would be worshiped and who he is. The priest and Malachi have no excuse whatsoever. Okay? So now we're back in Malachi 2. There's really cool stuff, by the way, in those Exodus chapters. 
There's a lot of history that extends from those chapters too. There's a lot of really good stuff. So what I want you to get there is that this has always been God's desire. And it's been His design. And these priests have no excuse. They cannot say, we didn't know. Because y'all listen to this. Just You can make a note of it. Deuteronomy 15.21. In their law... It says this, after talking about these sacrifices in Deuteronomy 15, 21, it says, but if it has any blemish, if it is lame or blind or has any serious blemish, whatever, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. Clearly, if it has any blemish, lame, blind, serious blemish whatsoever, you shall not sacrifice it to the Lord your God. That's in their law. They would know this. Leviticus 22.20. It's another one you can write down. And those of you who are fast flippers, then you could, you could get there. But just listen to this. It's so clear. God's word says about sacrifices, you must not present anything with a defect because it will not be accepted on your behalf. And this language is all throughout the Old Testament. Why? Because God told them. It's recorded. They knew not to do what they were doing, and yet they did it anyway. The problem wasn't fully in the sacrifice. The problem really came down to they were not honoring who he was, what he said, and what he demanded of them. You might say, well, it's kind of heavy for God to demand something of us because he has such a high standard. Because God is who God is, and rightfully so, He can demand of us whatever he wants and he can do whatever he wants and has to give no excuse. Preach that in many churches today and watch the pews exit. We don't need more comforting messages. We need exalted views of God to let that align our lives because one day you and I will stand before the judge. We will see God face to face and I do not want to have lived my life in such a way where I have to apologize every moment for my lack of honor to him. I want cross life to have such a high exalted view of God that that is what we are so consumed and obsessed with. That is the life application that we need in every single bit of Scripture. Not one, two, three, four, better life now, but behold your God. He is completely other than us, and he has deeply loved us. That's what we need out of every single passage. Okay, so now you and I have a second temptation. Number one was we don't have the animals, right? So this isn't about us and... And we got Jesus, and so we're covered, right? Look at 1 Peter 2.9, because the other temptation for you and me is this. Well, he was talking to the priests and not the people. 1 Peter 2.9, if turn there, don't, don't just make a note on this one. This is one, if you haven't underlined it, you need to underline it, you need to mark it. This is one in which we can dwell for so many different reasons. 1 Peter 2.9. So Malachi is the Old Testament. There was an established priesthood. There's a history that we're going to get into a little bit more next week. And where did that all come about and, and stuff? And now we're in the New Testament. So we have a fuller reality in the New Testament of what was going on in the Old Testament. In 1 Peter 2.9, here's what it says. But you 
believers. It's written to believers. So cross life, if you're a professing believer. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So what was established in the Old Testament was just a shadow of the substance that was to come. All those sacrifices, they were shadows of Christ, the substance. The tabernacle of God dwelling with man was a shadow, a glorious one, a a shadow, a, a way for them to begin to understand. And now we understand that God richly dwells within the tabernacle and the, the temple of who we are. We are being built into that. It's a living thing. His church is growing. And so that's, there's a, that reality. So what he established with the priesthood then, we are the reality of that now. You believers are the royal priesthood. You are. So whenever we realize that we are the royal priesthood, we need to listen to Malachi a whole lot closer. We can't just kind of say, hey, that's, that was for the priest. We'll wait till he talks to the people. We are the priesthood now. The priest then They had a purpose. It was to ensure that, number one, God's name was praised, sacrifices were made, and God's temple was honored. They were the priesthood. You know what we are to do today as a royal priesthood? We are a priesthood of believers who are to ensure that God's name is praised, that right sacrifices are made, and that God's church is honored. Like, there's a parallel there for you. They were not honoring him, therefore... They were defaming his name. God had loved them from the beginning. And he told them, I've shown you just glimpses, that he has shown them from the beginning what he wants of them, how he's for them, and how he will sustain them. The Israelites are so incredibly frustrating throughout the Old Testament because in one chapter he parts the waters and they walk through on dry land and then on the the next page, like as I flip it, then they're like, God, did you just send us out here to kill us? Are there not enough graves in Egypt? I mean, it would be better if we were back in Egypt. I mean, they just keep questioning him over and over and over again. And then one day God just was so incredibly um, blunt because he has to be with me. And just the reality sunk in of I would have done the exact same thing because I do the exact same thing. I forget who he is. I forget the honor that's due him. And I forget that he has loved me and provides and sustains for me. The problem is that they did not know. The problem is they didn't care. They didn't care about his law anymore. They didn't care about his glory. They didn't care about his honor. They didn't care about the law. We got into the history of who they were last, last week. Um, I was going to say last year. I guess that means it's been a really long week. But we got into their history last week. And where they're coming from, from the Babylonian exile and how they're a disillusioned, broken people, they're cynical. But what we see right here, not only are they all those things, they're also apathetic. There is a very real danger, especially in born-again Christians or in those who profess the name of Christ, that we become apathetic. We become so accustomed to the things of God and to God's sacrifice on our behalf and to his loving nature towards us that we just become apathetic because we're so used to it. It's not a popular message, but it's a reality of what we see here. When you forget who God is, apathy will set in. It's the nature of our hearts. We are prone to wonder, prone to leave the Lord I love. 
So here's my heart, Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. That is an incredible prayer. All right, so let's, let's just kind of move into this now. They were doing something. They were doing something for the Lord. That, they thought, was enough. All right, we're going to look at that. I think in, in their minds, and they've justified it, and you kind of see it here. They're still doing the sacrifices. They're doing something. They're doing something for the Lord. And isn't that enough, right, to show up and at least be doing something, even though my heart's not in it? To go out into the community and do something, even though my heart's not really in it? No. We're going to get into that. He actually gives them a pretty chilling message. Look at verse 10. I'm going to take you to Revelation here in a second because there was a verse there that really shook me whenever I was younger, still does a little bit. But verse 10 is now ranked up there with that one. Look at verse 10. Here's how God really feels about their sacrifices. You ready for this? God says, Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the doors to the church, to the temple, to the tabernacle. He's like, Oh, if there were just one of you who would just at least shut the doors so that you would not kindle fire on my altar in vain. God says here, I have no pleasure in you, says the Lord of hosts. I will not accept an offering from your hand. Oh, my word. I mean, that's pretty, that's pretty extreme right there. I don't think that we fully grasp the extremity of our sin and the, the, the discipline that we are due because of the sin that's owed. They are knowingly dishonoring God. They are offering up wrong sacrifices to the degree that God says, I wish there were someone brave enough to keep the doors locked so that you wouldn't even come in here, priest. Because you're coming here and you're burning your sacrifices and it's all in vain. It's just to show there's no good in it. It's what he says. God says, I have no pleasure in you. Can God say that? In a world today where God is love and everybody's welcome and we're just supposed to like kind of get along and tolerate all things? No. God says to his people who have forgotten his honor and offer wrong sacrifices, he says, I have no pleasure in you because you do not honor, honor me and it's showing up in your sacrifices. He says, I will not accept an offering from your hand. But we did something. We brought you some goat that we burned on the altar. We went through all the right actions except for that one part of it right there. And that one part stems from a wayward heart. They did not honor him as Lord. And God says, here's the deal. All that you're doing is in absolute vain. I wish somebody there would shut the door and you quit offering it because it doesn't bring me pleasure and I'm not going to accept it anyway. I wonder what the Lord would say to us today as he looks at our church landscape. I'm not trying to be critical, but just come on. Is the Lord being exalted and his gospel being proclaimed and Jesus is the only source of, of all of that redemption. As we look across the church landscape, I wonder if we're not right back here where people are offering blemish sacrifices in the altar or at the pulpit and we're preaching everything, kindling vain fire and God is saying there's no pleasure in this for me. I wish somebody would just lock the door, quit gathering is what God is saying here. Like that's how far they had gotten. What caused God to be silent for 400 years before he would send John the Baptist and his son? We start right here with the priest because as the priests are, so the people will be as well. 
The parallel for us is we are the people, we are the priesthood. Y'all, we need to just check our hearts, okay? Honor the Lord. He is good. Look at Revelation 3, 15 through 16. I think it really does kind of parallel Malachi. Verse 10. In Revelation chapter 3, verse 15 through 16. This one shook me whenever I was a kid. You're all going to know the verse because you all, while your preacher was preaching, your ADD set in and you're reading Revelation also because that's just one of the coolest books whenever you're a kid and you're trying to figure it out. And we all become theologians of Revelation whenever we're at the ripe young age of seven, right? And then it just carries us all the way through. But I remember reading this one and it stopped me. And throughout my life, it has stopped me. Listen to Revelation 3, 15 through 16. God says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. I do like the King James Version there. I will spew you out of my mouth. It's just how I learned it. And I remember sitting there as a kid thinking, if I'm lukewarm, he's literally going to spew me, vomit me out of his mouth. Like, it's not okay. Like, we should be, uh, John Piper uses um, the, the term white-hot passion. Like, that should be the devotion that we have. We should have this white-hot passion for God, and then that is what we are living for, and it's evident. But then we become comfortable with those verses. We become comfortable with the grace of God. We become comfortable with the glory of God. And in that comfort, we become very casual. And so, so through life, we, we all become accustomed to doing this. And we kind of aren't consumed with that white hot um, passion anymore for him. And it gets very casual. And so we give casual glances to God. But we keep on going in a casual glance. Add God generates a casual walk and we become lukewarm. I think that's what the priests were doing just with some different language. They got very comfortable with who he is. They got very casual with who, he, with who he is. And they became lukewarm. God is not pleased with what they're doing. You and I need to understand, just because we do a lot of actions in our Christian life doesn't mean that it brings God glory. Because if the heart is not settled on his honor and giving that to him, then it can be a vain fire. In God's holiness, he can only love that which is of highest esteem, and that's himself. You might say, that sounds arrogant. How can God love himself more than anything else and his glory more than anything else? Read scripture. It's right. Because there's only one thing that is most beautiful, most excellent, most pure. And if anything fits that, that definition or those qualities, then it deserves highest honor and praise. And so God himself knows that of himself. He deserves all highest honor and praise. And he expects his people to do it as well. He does care for the comfort of his people. You're sitting here today because of God's goodness. You're going to wake up tomorrow morning because of God's goodness, or you will wake up in his presence because of God's goodness. His faithfulness has never stopped. His people have. Right? See the burden of Malachi? Having to tell the people that he loves, that he's walking with, that, that he loves, and that he's walking with, that, that maybe everything that we're doing isn't always the right thing, and maybe it's blemished. That's a reality that you and I want to wrestle with. 
conviction is a good thing. Conviction is a good thing because it's God convicting us to make him more like him. If he didn't convict us so that we could grow in our holiness and he just said, you're on your own, then we would just continue to drift. Matthew 15, 8, Jesus even says of the people who are surrounding him and in their, their holy nations, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. You know what? We do sing praises. We do honor him with our lips and with what we write. But sometimes the most worshipful, praiseworthy thing that we can do is to actually not sing with our voice, but praise him with our hearts. It's a heart issue. That's at the core of everything going on here. So here's what, it, here's what their sacrifice has got them. He wishes someone would just shut the door. He doesn't even want them to come in. He says that their sacrifices are burning in vain. They're useless. He has no pleasure in them. Let that sink in. And then this one, he will not accept their offerings. And those are pretty heavy things to be God's people and him to say, I take no delight right there. But y'all, God's love was not the question. Theirs was. God's love was evident and theirs was not. And God's faithfulness was there. Theirs was not. So I've noticed this trend in my life and in the lives of people as we walk life together. Watch this. When we forget his glory, we do not honor him. When we do not honor him, we do not worship him. And when we do not worship him, we do not love him. I found that if we want to be humbled by his love, I'm, I'm sorry, I found that we want to be humbled by his love, but we don't want to honor his love as well. It's a sin in us. Paul wrote about it. That which I don't want to do, I do it. And I find that those things that I don't want to do, I'm doing them, but it's sin in me. And the things I want to do, I'm not doing it. Woe is me. We are redeemed, but the old man is not dead completely. He still rises up. We must contend for the glory of God within us. Psalm 50, um, God even says to, the, to them, he says, you thought I was one completely like yourself, right? That's why we begin to, to not really hold his honor high because we become so comfortable. We thought you were, we think that God is one just like us, that God, that, that he would just walk into this room and we'd be like, oh, I am a friend of God. He has called me friend, and he has. But it's a friendship that when he walks in the room, we will hit the ground, and there will be resounding praise. And if that's not our response, then we have forgotten what Psalm 50 so clearly tells us, that he is a God not like us. But when we see him, all, I'm like face to face, like go in that moment. When you see him, all of that casualness will be gone. All of the apathy will be gone. All the flippancy will be gone because you and I are going to see him face to face. Right now, it's in a mirror dimly. Like we only get a glimpse of it. And you know what you do whenever you see a glimpse in a mirror that's real foggy? You don't spend a lot of time there. We, 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 we want to see more of what's in there, but we really can't fully see it. And I understand that Paul is also talking about our redemption, but our redemption is a reflection of the redemption that he did. Like he's, we're going to be glorious like he is, but we are going to fall in praise. 
I don't think we're going to go up and give him nucks and we're going to shake his hand and high fives and we're just going to say, God, thank you so much for saving me. I think it's going to be resounding praise that shakes the heavens whenever we are all before his throne singing his praises forever and ever and ever. And if you think that's boring, then it's because we have forgotten the honor and the fear of our exalted God. So what's at stake? Verse 11 through 14, this. And then I'm going to give you, okay, so what do our praises look like? Like, why does all this really matter? What's at stake? This, the name of the Lord. The, the animal on the, sacri- on, the, on the altar, that's not what's at stake, really. What's really at stake is the name of the Lord. Read through there and see how many times he says, for my name will be great. For I am the Lord. Read all of Malachi. And every time he corrects them, he keeps coming back with, for my name will be made great. My name will be praised. Like he reminds them over and over and over again. What's at stake is his name and his glory. He says in verse 11, for from the, well, yeah, I'm sorry. Verse 11 through 14. For from the rising of the sun to its setting will be I'm sorry, my name will be great among the nations and in every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. Okay, if we want to do some like real quick parallels in Revelation um, chapter five, it says that they're the golden bowls of incense um, going up and they are, it says the prayers of the saints. Like, so we have another picture here going on that this incense that goes up before him in Revelation, we understand like our prayers are incense to him. But he says, for from the rising of the sun to the setting, my name will be great. Every place incense will be offered to my name and a pure offering. He says, my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Then he goes on and says, but you profane it. In other words, you don't honor it. In fact, in verse 13, the priests are saying, oh, man, what a weariness this is. Ricky, have you ever walked in and been trying to get ready for church? And you kind of walk in here, Ricky, and you're like, do you ever just get tired? And you're like, oh, my goodness, like, Lord, okay, I'm going to show up for you today. Absolutely, I have. I've burned a sacrifice in vain. I've done that. I'll tell you I have. I've sung a praise to him whenever my heart just really wasn't in it. I've burned fire in vain. Speaks to me. I have forgotten the honor of the Lord in those moments. I'm going to tell you, not today, though. Uh, he's, been, he's taken care of me this week, right? And it's been a really incredibly humbling, cool week with some things that are going on where I'm just telling Chas and I'm trying to communicate to her and I've shared some with Andy and I'm sitting there and I'm just going... Lord, I don't know what you're doing, but it's really cool whatever it is, you know? Whenever we quit trying to be God and we just let him, then he does some pretty amazing things. So, what a weariness is, they said. And you had my confession there. Look at verse 14. God says, just as a reminder, Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock. The law told him to. Vows it because the law told him to. Yet sacrifices his Lord what is blemished, and the law told him not to. And he says, For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. What's at stake in how we live our lives and what we sacrifice to the Lord and what we offer to the Lord is not really about 
maybe the outward action of what we really think it is. It's about the proclamation of the name of the Lord. Y'all, he's either worth it or he's not. That's what we have to settle in our hearts. God is either worthy or he's not. He can't be halfway worthy of some of it. All right, so why does this matter to us? I hope you got the parallels. I'm, I'm doing my best um, to try and... It, Malachi's heart. I hope you understand the parallels. This is the last prophet through whom God spoke before he was silent for 400 years and the priesthood had gone astray. They were not leading the people, but as the priests are, so the people are. But we understand the parallel too. And it is this, that we are the royal priesthood. Okay? I'm about to, by the way, I'm, I'm going to give you all like five verses we're about to turn to of what does this really look like. So don't, don't think, okay, well, I've got to go buy a goat now and I've got to make sure it's not blunt. So just stick with me a little bit longer. But I hope you see that parallel that we are the priesthood. As they were to proclaim the excellencies of him who had called them out of this world to be his nation. 1 Peter 2.9 says that he has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light so that we may proclaim the excellencies of him. Right? So I hope we see that parallel. I hope we see the parallel that, that they had the altar on which they would burn their sacrifices. And we have the sacrifices that we have here. But, but really at the heart of it is, I'm sorry, at the core of it is the heart. That's really it. It's really about honoring the Lord. So this is how you and I will honor. I'm sorry. Um, this is how you honor me, God told them. And then they begin to drift. Right? There's a danger, y'all, whenever our walks become too comfortable and too casual. That's usually um, connected to our casual or accustomed view of God. We cease to be amazed. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus and Nazarene. He bore my sin and suffering. How wonderful, how marvelous. I know I'm messing the words up there. But is my Savior's love for me. I stand amazed. May we live lives that honor God for things. When God calls out our sin and convicts us, we can either... Reply like the priest who, who pounded their chest and said, oh, we're right. Or we can do four things. Humble ourselves. Repent of our own sin or shallowness. Praise God for his forgiveness. And then seek to bring him the right sacrifices. That's how we should approach this text, I think. I'm going to do it again. Humble ourselves. When God convicts us of our sins and our shallow worship of him, we humble ourselves. We repent of our sin and our shallowness. We praise God for his forgiveness. And then we seek to bring him the right sacrifices. Okay, so what are these sacrifices according to the New Testament? I am giving you like not complete enough. Read Hebrews and understand the fullness of Christ there. I'm just going to give you some that, that I think have some very real application for us. So let's start with 1 Peter 2.5. I said 5. I got six verses for us. 1 Peter 2.5. If y'all will turn there. After we do these, we will land the plane and save the children's workers and go live lives of worship. Okay. All right, so 
Here we go, 1 Peter 2, 5. Peter says, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable, acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. I want to start with that one because it's this. It's no longer animal sacrifices, not fruit or oil or, or grain sacrifices. They are spiritual sacrifices. That's the difference now. Those were tangible things so that people would understand how to worship. We offer spiritual sacrifices. And Peter says we are living stones. We're being built up as a spiritual house, you and I together. And we're only part of that house, right? There are other great wonderful, God-glorifying, exalting, gospel-proclaiming churches, and we're all being built into a living stone, spiritual house. We are a holy priesthood, you see that again, to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So, not animal, but spiritual. Okay, number two, go to Romans chapter 12, and we're going to look at verses 1 and 2. These are sacrifices, right? Sacrifices that we should be doing today that seem very clear in Scripture, though this is not complete. This list. Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul writes, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. And then he follows that with, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and pleasing and acceptable and perfect. But your bodies and your mind, those are living sacrifices for God. So how you act, how you move, how you breathe, how you function, how you think, those are part of the right sacrifice that we should be bringing to God. Why? Because his name will be great among the nations means every thought that we have needs to be taken captive. And just because we want to do it doesn't mean we get to do it, right? So on that one, um, if the first one was spiritual sacrifices, not animal, this tells us it's, it's our bodies and mind. Those are right sacrifices. In other words, act and think differently. That's what that tells us. Act and think differently. That is part of the sacrifice we bring. Philippians 4.18 We just finished Philippians, so I know you have it memorized without going there, but I would go there so that you can see something uh, that I think echoes what Paul was saying um, and that we covered. But I just thought it's good to see it. With our tithes and our offerings, those are sacrifices to the Lord. They absolutely are. Look at this, Philippians 4.18. I have received, Paul says, I have received full payment and more I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. Now, I clarified the other day, uh, or whenever we preached that, like that the understanding of what that verse meant, so you can go back and listen to that a little bit more. But I do think we need to reckon with this, that our tithes and offerings are right sacrifices because they really are a heart check for us. They really, truly are a heart check for us. They are sacrifices. And if you just drop the money in over there um, in our fancy jar, bucket, bowl thing that's over there, if you just drop it in over there and, you just, and you're kind of doing it begrudging, 
It's a blemish sacrifice. It would be better to give less with joy than to give more begrudgingly. But we are still called to do it. At the same time, this was convicting. I, I can't remember which book I read it in. I feel like it was in Donald Whitney's Spiritual Disciplines of the Christian Life. Um, the putting in of the tithes and offerings is an act of worship itself. Like, it's not meant to be done casually. It's, and I, that was really challenging that as it's done, like, just, Lord, this is yours because your name is great. Like, it's just that it's a really cool um, idea that I wrestled with. Um, okay, let's keep going. Hebrews chapter 13. We're going to do verses 15 and 16. So this would be um, praises or sacrifices number four and five. We're almost done, I promise. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. Our praises, whether spoken, sung, or written, are sacrifices to God. Hebrews 13, 15 shows us this, like very clearly. Through him, then let us, through Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God. That is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Isn't it cool how God takes the things of our lives that we believers are doing, and he elevates them whenever you read it. And he says, these are the sacrifices that I am due. You should be singing about me. You should be writing about me. You should be talking about me. You should be giving for me. You should be thinking and acting differently for me because everybody is going to be proclaiming my name. So whatever we sing, whatever we speak, whatever we write, it's, it's a sacrifice of praise which makes me tremble whenever I remember that Jesus told me that we will give an account for every idle word that we speak. Every idle word will be called into account. Why? Because our lives should be so different, and it's about his name and not ours. Look at Hebrews 13, 16. Very next verse. He says, do not... By the way, we don't know who wrote Hebrews, but whoever the Hebrew writer is says... Do not neglect to do good works and to share what you have. Watch this. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. So our good works and our generosity are sacrifices. We're supposed to be doing this. We're supposed to be generous. We're supposed to be doing good works. And if we do them begrudgingly, then we bring a blemished sacrifice. Or if we don't do them, then we don't bring the sacrifice at all. But this is what we're supposed to be doing. A lot of you are so much more generous than I am. Praise the Lord. I need to be walking alongside you so that I can learn to be more generous. Right? This is why we need one another. But whenever we do the good works and don't neglect them, and whenever we are generous and don't neglect to be generous, we are offering right sacrifices that are acceptable to God. We're not just doing things down here. He sees them as offerings that we're bringing to him. And he's satisfied with it. Then he goes on, last one. This one, I needed Warren Wearsby to point out to me. Um, he actually, if y'all don't know Warren Wearsby, I like Warren Wearsby. You hear that name quite a bit. Very readable, deep enough whenever you need him to be, and, but then so easy to understand, like all the way through and through. And he's the one who pointed the direction all these. But this one, I had to I really credit with him because I completely missed it. And I'm completely challenged, especially in light of our um, D group training and where the Lord is leading us in serving in different areas. Romans 15, 16. Romans 15, 16. Paul, 
rights to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. Watch this. So that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. I just kind of read it and I went on because I thought it was like the offering that the Gentiles were doing, that that was the sacrifice, um, that it would be acceptable to God. And that's where Warren Wiersbe really helped me understand that this is Paul who's gone to the Gentiles and they've been saved as a result of it. So my note on that, another sacrifice are the souls that we save in the Great Commission. We are meant to go. And whenever we do that and we proclaim the gospel and the Gentiles are saved, like, and then they become an offering to the Lord. Does that make sense? No? Okay. So the Great Commission and save souls, that's, the, that's one of the sacrifices that we bring to God. We either bring it to him or we don't. But Jesus commissioned us. He put us on mission with him. And if the last things that Jesus says that we should go do is to go make disciples among the nations, teaching them everything and baptizing them, I don't think that we get to look at Jesus and say, you have all authority in heaven and on earth. But nope, not doing it. We don't get to tell the Lord of all creation, no. But whenever we do that work, Paul writes that he is a minister of Christ Jesus, verse 16, to the Gentiles. They, that means people who were not Jews. He went there in service of the gospel of God. So he went there for God so that the offering or the offering up of the Gentiles may be acceptable to him. So that's one of the sacrifices that Paul brings is the, I put the great commission and saved souls. So ways that we sacrifice today in the right manner, spiritual sacrifice is not animal. Make sure your heart is right. Live our lives in that way, which means our bodies and minds are his. We act and think differently. Our tithes and offerings are sacrifice. Our praises are sacrifice. Our works and generosity are sacrifice. And the great commission and saved souls are our sacrifices. And they are ever before the Lord. And why in the world would we do any of those? Well, Ricky mentioned tithes and offerings. It's always about money, isn't it? No. In <laughs> four years. I mean, we've hit tithes twice and the most frequent way, and we don't talk about tithes and offerings here, but it's because he wants us to sing louder. He doesn't think they were. No, it's because great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. That's why I want you to do this. That's why I want to do this. I don't have, I have a dog. That's tempting. No, I have a dog, but I think she would be blemished, and we have fish, but I don't get to lay any of them on the altar um, and just sacrifice him anymore. You know what I think? I think that that was actually probably pretty easy. And that would be easy for us today. Just, you, oh, you just want me to do this over here and check this box? Fantastic, Lord. No, what he wants now, wholehearted, deep-seated allegiance for the glory of his name. So what if we've messed up? Repent, or be humbled. Repent. Thank him for his forgiveness and then offer the right sacrifice. I don't know what that looks like in your life. I have no idea what that looks like in your life, but God does. And whenever he stoops near and he says, are you honoring me? May we say, I'm doing my best, but I need your strength. Or no, Lord, I haven't. Forgive me and give me the strength to do it. But I think we really need to wrestle with that. It wasn't really what was there on the altar. It's what was in their hearts. Where is our heart in this? 
because if we're the royal priesthood, others are walking and watching us. And what do they see? God said, I've always loved you. I've always loved you. That never changed. They did. Like, he was faithful. They were not. May his faithfulness stand, and may we be faithful. And if we're not, then may we be humble enough and not pound our chest as the priest did, but bow down low and say, in humble adoration, you are God, and I am yours. Okay, so that's part one. They don't, the passages don't get any easier for, for a, a few pages in my Bible. And if you've got a study Bible, then you've got like a, you know, you've got many pages to make it through. But um, that's the burden that we need to understand. God fell silent because his people quit honoring him. That's the first thing that we see there. And we're going to see that that honor begins here, but it plays throughout many aspects of Malachi. His name will be praised. If not by us, then he'll raise up the rocks. Let's pray. Lord God, I, I hope that this was a pleasing sacrifice to you, not because of who I am, not because it's excellent, but Lord, I do love you. That's why I hope it was fitting for you. Lord, I don't preach to men and women and kids, Lord. I preach before you. And I hope that this brings you glory. Lord, I pray that, that we take this and we, we walk through life and at the end of the day we can say, Lord, I hope that I brought you glory and genuinely mean it. Lord, I pray that in this moment as we, we sing this song that we really dwell in this, that our God is worthy of all praise, fully exalted in the heavens now and forever, regardless of what men and women may say, regardless of what governments topple and rise, you are still God. And that stands forever and ever. But Lord, we have to be obedient here. Lord, teach us as only you can how to live in a way that honors you. And Lord, for whatever was not clearly communicated or delivered wrongly, Lord, be gracious to me and to us and teach us truth. Amen.